My message this morning I titled, Overcome Evil with Good. We could also say, let's overcome evil with love. With the love that Christ has put in our hearts. Amen? This morning my message is, scripture rather, is coming from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to jump down to verses 9 through 21. And I'm going to be using the English Standard Version this morning. A little bit different than what I would normally use. Normally use the New King James Version. But hear the word of the Lord this morning. Before I read this, uh, one thing about this version, it has a heading above each paragraph or segment. And the first one is called a living sacrifice. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then the second passage, actually the heading on that called is called Marks of a True Christian. I love that. Marks of a true Christian. So here again the word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as depends on you, so as far as it depends on you, it's just all of your effort, if it is possible, if it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. You know, years ago as a young Christian, when I read verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. You know, I used to think, yeah, that'll get him. You know, we're going to heap burning coals on top of their head. Boy, that's going to get them. That's going to burn them. And really, when you think it, about it that way, it's kind of a vengeful thought, right? I guess I ignored the first part. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But our thinking should be, when we read that passage, that 
when we're going to heap burning coals on their head, that their conscience is going to burn within them. Because when we treat them opposite of the way they're maybe treating us, treat them with kindness and goodness and love, that that may burn into their conscience. It might convict them that they might come to the Lord. See, that should be the end goal. Not that we are getting vengeance, but they might come to the Lord through our goodness that we're able to bless them with because of God's Spirit and His presence in us. Paul begins by saying, Brothers, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. It means brothers and sisters, by the way, women. So, you know, you don't get off the hook here. <laughs> brothers, sisters, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. To appeal means to make an urgent request. So, it is our Christian obligation to present our entire being for the service of the Lord. You know, when the nation of Israel would offer the animal sacrifices back in the Old Testament, they would offer the, whole, the entire animal unto the Lord as an offering of, for the repentance of their sins. So Paul uses this, this example to, to relay the importance that we are to give God our all, our entire being. You know, the sacrifices of old, as everyone knows, if you ever read any of the Old Testament, they were to be perfect, weren't they? They were to be without spot, without blemish. They weren't supposed to bring the cripples or the ones that had defects on them, but they were supposed to bring the very best to offer unto the Lord because He deserves the very best. Deuteronomy 15, 21 says, But if there is a defect in it, speaking of the sacrifice, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God because you're to give the best. We are to present ourselves, friends, without defect, which we are able to do by the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we are made holy, we are made acceptable through the sacrifice that Christ made for us. It is His righteousness in us that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him. When the Jews would offer their sacrifice, they would slew the animal and present it to the Lord. So each animal could only be offered once, of course, but they had to come back annually, year after year, and do it over and over. We know that Christ died once for all. He is our sacrifice. But we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that's supposed to be day by day, week by week, month by month, Year by year, we are to offer our lives unto God. We are to offer Him all of our energies, all of our intellect, all of our physical powers until our time on this earth comes to an end. Every day, for all of our lives, it is a living sacrifice, day by day, each and every day, that is our reasonable service to offer ourselves unto the Lord. Most importantly, Paul describes it. He says, this sacrifice is our spiritual worship. Have you thought of that? This is our spiritual worship unto God to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to Him. In verse 2, Paul said, 
uh, as we have Sabbath school and their discussion, I'm always amazed how it ties to, to the message that I've prepared. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, when you think of transform, you think of that little old caterpillar that <laughs> goes into that cocoon. and You know, it's one thing. It's, it's, a, it's a little worm, fuzzy worm crawling on the ground. But that thing is completely transformed into something completely different, isn't it? Whenever it comes out of that cocoon, and it's a butterfly. It has wings and flies. That little fuzzy creature that crawls on the ground now sprouts wings and flies. We are to be transformed, friends. The old man that maybe used to sin and be nasty and hateful is transformed into a man that loves his neighbor, that cares for one another, and the love of Christ works in and through him. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, but it's mostly the renewing of our hearts that is within, of, within each of us. We are to not be conformed to the world, but transform. Whenever a person would conform to the world, they are conforming to the socially acceptable standards of the world. And my friends, that's not the way we as believers are to behave. True biblical Christianity, as Paul speaks of in Romans, has never been very popular in the world. In society, has it? Never has been from the beginning of the church and is still not today because it does not line up with the world's view of philosophy, fashions, or morals. Opposition to Christianity is nothing new. As I just said, from the beginning of the church, there has been opposition. John 15, 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. My friends, if you are living the life of a Christian, if you are walking the walk, the world is going to hate you because of your moral standards. Not only are we not to conform to the world, we're told to abhor what is evil. To abhor, the Greek word is apostogonots, something like that, I probably didn't say it right. But it is a very strong dislike. It is to have a horror against. So not only are we not to be, avoid it, we are to be repelled by it. Are you repelled by the evil in the world today? I hope so. We are to be repelled by it. We are to oppose it. As we was talking this afternoon, where is the opposition to evil? We just kind of just, yeah, just let it go. There's not really a lot of opposition to it today, is there? We need to oppose it. We are to hate it. We are to be appalled by it. We are to oppose evil. That is the evil that is going on in the world today. But instead, I think the world is having more influence on the church. And the church is conforming to the ways of the world. But that's backwards, friends. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We are to oppose evil. We are to overcome evil. And we do it 
with goodness. We do with the love of Christ in us. We must practice. We must practice spiritual disciplines in our lives to maintain that edge, that spiritual edge, the, the moral edge, to be morally right. We must practice scripture reading, must practice prayer, we must practice Christian fellowship. It is required to be regrounded daily in the faith. To be able to discern between right and wrong, good and evil. Because sometimes it gets a little cloudy in the world today if we've allowed the world to influence us. But my friends, it's in here. It's not gray, it's black and white. If God's Word says that something is wrong, I've said this many times, it's wrong. If God's Word says it's right, then it's right. It's not what the world says, but it's what God says determines what is right and what is wrong. After urging the Christians to offer their bodies, verses 9-21, through we find that detailed list that Christians should apply to their lives. And it is no surprise that that list begins with love, is it? No surprise at all. The English Standard Version says, let love be genuine. But many other versions says, let love be without hypocrisy. We all know what hypocrisy is in its most basic explanation. It is claiming to be something that you really aren't. It's claiming that be a good person. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. But our lives don't line up with what's coming out of our mouths. That's the most basic form of hypocrisy. Our lives that we are living are not lining up with what we are saying that we are. 1 John 3, 18 and 19 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. So let us not love in just our words what we say, but let our lives truly reflect what kind of person we are. Reflect the truth. I found an interesting and actually funny article. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells the story of a wife who came into his office one day full of hatred towards her husband because he had hurt her. She said, I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even with him. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as bad as he has hurt me. So Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to act as if you really love your husband. I want you to tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait that he has. Go out of your way to be as kind as you can be. Be considerate and as generous as possible. Spare no effort to please Him, to enjoy Him. Make Him believe that you really, truly love Him. And after you've convinced Him of your undying love and that you cannot live without Him, then drop the bomb. Drop the bomb and let Him know that you're going to get a divorce from Him. That will really hurt Him. So with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and explained, that is beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. Will He ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if for two whole months that she really loved him. She showed kindness and love and listened, giving, reinforcing, sharing. 
But when she didn't return the call, Crane called her and says, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she explained. Never. I've discovered that I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motions resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promises as repeated deeds. That's the way we should be treating our spouses, right? Like we can't live without them. Truly loving them. We'll realize how much we do love them. I thought that was very good. If there could be one thing that would define a Christian, that one thing should be love. There's only one thing that defines us. It should be love. Paul says that our love should be without hypocrisy. It should be genuine. Paul, as did our Savior before him, stressed the fact that love is not only the norm in the Christian life, it is the motivation and ruling principle of the Christian life. The love of which he spoke of here is not mere emotionalism or sentimental love. It is the Greek term love agape. It is unselfish love. It is love that is willfully exercised and expressed to those who would not naturally be appealing or would not automatically reciprocate that love to us. It is not loving expecting to get something in return. What did Jesus say? Even the tax collectors love their family, their loved ones, but they don't love the unlovable. Church, we are called to love the unlovable. Those that we don't expect to get something back from, those that need it the most. We love for love's sake without expecting anything in return. A genuine love towards others is the only way that a believer can ever hope to fulfill the command to love our neighbor and to love, as Paul says, to love. We are called to bless those who persecute us, to bless them and not curse them. That's a hard command, isn't it? It's awful hard to bless someone that persecutes you and puts you down, but in turn, bless them, love them. Paul was merely repeating the words of our Lord. In Matthew 5, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43 and 49, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Also among the detailed lists of how Christians should live, there is the call to be patient during times of tribulation. To be patient means to be able to accept or tolerate delays or problems in our lives. I think last week when we was visiting Gary, he told the story of a 
man who once prayed, Lord, I want patience and I want it now. Isn't that the way most of us live our lives? We want patience, but we want them now. We are, most of us, I can't say all of us, not very patient, are we? We don't like waiting on that construction out on the highway, waiting to get for the flagman to turn, drive slow, and we're, you know, we don't like that stop sign. We don't like waiting in them long lines. We don't like waiting on the phone for the Railroad Retirement Board to answer you 45 minutes. We do not like to wait. We are not the most patient people in the world, are we? But we are to be patient. We are to be patient. According to a traditional Hebrew story, now I'm not sure about the truth of this, but it's a Hebrew story. Abraham was sitting outside of his tent one evening when he saw an old man, weary from age and journey, coming toward him. Abraham rushed out, greeted the man, invited him into his tent. And there he washed the old man's feet, gave him food to, drink, food to eat and water to drink. And the old man immediately began eating without saying a prayer or even blessing. So Abraham asked him, Do you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became incensed, grabbed the old man by the shoulders and threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. When the old man had departed, God called to his friend Abraham and asked, Where's the stranger? Abraham replied, I forced him out because he did not worship you. God answers, Why have suffered him these eighty years? Although he dishonored me, could you not endure him for one night? Let that sink in. Could you not endure him for one night? Could you not have patience with him? My friends, there's where we're called to have our patience with those in the world. Patience and tribulation. The word patience may give us a little bit of the wrong impression of our passage. Because as it's used here in Romans, the Greek word, it has to do with tough endurance. Not being patient waiting in that line and saying, oh, I'm so happy to wait. But it's tough endurance. It's standing firm. It's perseverance. That's what the patience means here as it's used in Romans. Be patient in tribulation means to endure, to stand firm, to persevere through tribulation. So he's not calling us to whistle and be happy, but to keep the faith even during tough times. Tribulation means to crush, to press, to squash, to compress. It's to put physical pressure on a man. It says it does not refer to a minor inconvenience. So tribulation is not a minor inconvenience. It's not a tribulation when we have to wait for 10 minutes for that traffic jam. That is a minor inconvenience, friends. You know, 2020 has been a year that I could say for many has been a year of great tribulation. I think I can honestly say that because there's many that have not had minor inconveniences this year. So we could look at so many different things. We look at COVID-19. You know, I have a, had a co-worker, since I'm retired now, I had a co-worker that his young daughter in her 20s, working at one of the nursing homes locally, contracted COVID-19. She was weeks and weeks and weeks getting over that. 
So it is real. Some will get it and have minor inconveniences, little to no symptoms. Others get it, some you may not think, even young people, and suffered very badly with it. And we're not going to get into the political side of things and is some of the numbers real, but it is real that many people, I'm not going to say a number, many people have died from COVID-19. So it is very real. Many have been very adversely affected by COVID-19. Many have lost their loved ones. Many have suffered tremendously because of COVID-19. I've had so many people say, boy, I'll be glad when 2020 is over. Prayerfully, 2021 will be better. So we've had that worldwide pandemic to deal with in 2020. We've had hurricanes to deal with already. Many people losing their homes, losing their cars, losing their livelihood. We've had wildfires to deal with in our nation, worse than they've ever seen. Were they set by some terrorists? Maybe. But there's still people that's dealing with tribulation in their lives because of these wildfires. We've seen the news. We've seen the pictures. I mean, it looks like an inferno. People losing everything. The only thing you see left standing is a chimney where there used to be a house. Cars, everything. People have to be taken to shelters. And many people there also losing their lives. We've seen rioters bring much tribulation upon many people in our, especially in the big cities where there's been many businesses destroyed, many homes destroyed because of the rioters. So we have experienced a lot of tribulation in our nation and in the world today. I know that not everybody has been severely affected by all that's going on in the world, but we know that these things are going on. Many people have experienced a lot of emotional pressure, a lot of tribulation in their lives. But as believers, we are called to keep the faith, to endure tough times. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. The Lord says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My friends, as we look at, you know, the other night we was watching the news. I know you get up here and you don't talk about the news, but when you're talking about tribulation, we seen they, they got it on one of the cameras, I guess, out on the street where a man walked up to a police car and shot both police officers in that car. They're sitting there, innocent police officers are sitting there, and a man just walks up blatantly and just shoots them at close range and runs off. My friends, we cannot overcome evil. And I know this is all sparked because it began with George Floyd and even beyond that. We cannot overcome evil with evil. It will never happen. You will never overcome evil by responding with more evil. But we must overcome evil with good. We must overcome evil with love. Love thine enemy. If our enemy is hungry, let's feed him. If our enemy is in need, let's take care of that need. If our enemy is thirsty, let's give him drink. But let's overcome evil with love. With the love of God. That's the only way we can possibly do it. We, can, we want to get revenge. When someone hurts us natural, in, the, in the natural realm, we want revenge. So we have to go beyond the natural and allow 
God's Spirit in us to work and move, to love that person, to love that group of people. The only way we'll ever overcome the evil that's in our nation or in the world is with the love of Jesus Christ working in and through us. Amen. What did he say? For God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he'd have waited till we got till we got all cleaned up and and was deserving of it, he'd have never sent his son because it never would have happened. My friends, we can make a difference. We can make a difference in our neighborhood, in our society today, if we allow the love of Christ to work through us. The church, the church is called to love. Don't be a part of the haters. Let's be a part of those that love our neighbors. And let's overcome evil. Amen. Amen.